I'm Afshin Ratansi and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the UAE. As the USA declines and its proxy war rages in Europe, most of the world looks to a new future in a multipolar world. But such turning points have repeated through millennia. One of the greatest living futurist historians, known for accurately predicting the 2008 Western economic crisis and who has advised governments, is Professor Michael Hudson, the Wall Street veteran and godson of Leon Trotsky, author of the new book, The Collapse of Antiquity, the second and latest volume in his trilogy on the origins of debt, joins me now from New York City. Thank you so much, oh, Professor Hudson. Me. I've got to ask uh, whether uh, it was just coincidental um, that volume two of the trilogy about the collapse of empires uh, through unsustainable debt comes out this year, given uh, everyone in the global south is talking about the collapse of the United States and certainly the collapse of the dollar. Well, not only the United States, it's the whole uh, Western uh, uh, civilization that is uh, based on oligarchy. Uh, and uh, people don't realize uh, how uh, Greece and Rome made a detour away from everything that had been in the Near East and Asia and the rest of the world before. And the de detour was to get rid of any kind of government checks on, uh, the, on creditors, on the oligarchy, and on people becoming landlords and uh, essentially uh, foreclosing on the land, uh, expropriating the population, and uh, ending up uh, depopulating the land and uh, losing their, uh, their economy. Even the White House and the buildings, the Congress, are built on the idea of uh, classical antiquity and trying to imitate the style to show that continuity of style. Uh, how is it that over thousands of years, and I don't know whether you expect just your book, I mean, some people have, 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 have Jeffrey St. Croix, there's been um, lots of people that have been talking about this, but no one so concisely talking about debt, arguably, is the major element here. Well, how can your one book not only show that uh, the continuity is wrong, this is not where it comes from, uh, Western civilization, that it just comes from uh, ancient Rome or ancient Greece, but also that it was about debt. How can, how can this be overturned, this idea of history, in such a singularity? Well, there are, two ways, there are two ways of looking at Roman and Greece history. One way is to say, how, what would we have done if we would have gone back to Greece and Rome today? And we would have made the whole world look like uh, uh, the West is trying to make Ukraine, or it would have looked like... Uh, 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 like England. Uh, the alternative that uh, is very rarely done is, what did the Roman historians describe uh, what was happening in Rome? What did uh, Aristotle and Plato uh, and the Greeks uh, describe about what was happening in Greece? And they were all in agreement. There was one common denominator. They all, they all emphasized uh, the role of debt in polariz polarizing economic life. And if you read the histories written by Livy and uh, other Roman historians, uh, you see century after century of popular revolts trying to cancel the debts and redistribute the land that had been monopolized by creditors uh, foreclosing and evicting uh, debtors. Same thing happened in, uh, uh, in, in Greece. Uh, and uh, Aristotle pointed out that already there was a, a misinterpretation of uh, what was happening in Greece, that uh, many constitutions claimed to be democracies, but they were really oligarchies. And Aristotle explained that democracies tend to evolve into oligarchies as uh, wealthy people make uh, 
make money and they, uh, uh, they increase and they usually make money by hurting other people, by uh, being creditors. And uh, they make themselves into a hereditary aristocracy uh, and uh, that tends to impoverish the economy until finally some aristocratic families uh, decide to take the uh, voters into their, uh, uh, into their camp uh, as Pleisthenes did in Greece and in, uh, in Athens in 506 uh, BC and uh, push democracy and, and kick out uh, the, uh, uh, the aristocrats. And that's how Greek democracy began in the seventh and sixth century. Uh, and and so call... even the word tyrant that we use in the yeah. English language, what the word tyrant means is democracy. That's where democracy comes from. You might have to explain that, how cleverly uh, elites have uh, changed the definition so that we don't understand that democracy in these, uh, con with these constraints actually comes from tyrants. Well, in the 7th and 6th century, in uh, uh, the leading Greek cities, uh, you had uh, sort of mafiosi states of uh, a few families controlled the land, and uh, minor mem uh, members of the family uh, ended up revolting and saying, look, you can't uh, have just a, a few families owning everything and impoverishing anyone. So they, they overthrew the, uh, uh, the, uh, the real uh, tyrants, the, the oligarchy, uh, and uh, they uh, said, look, we need to uh, have uh, citizens who will fight in the infantry to support us. We need to give them citizenship rights. And they need to have and clean to the slate themselves. on debt. Yes, and we can't. Uh, the first thing they did was cancel the debt, uh, so that uh, there was no more money owed uh, to the wealthy uh, uh, class, and uh, and give people the land. And that was that what formed the uh, basis of democracy. And that happened in Corinth uh, for the first time. It happened in Sparta, and uh, Athens was fairly late, uh, latecomer uh, uh, to come. And Solon. Uh, in 594 BC, uh, canceled the debts that bound uh, the uh, cultivators to the land, but he didn't redistribute the land, and that was left to uh, to fight uh, to his business uh, greatest and uh, the rest of the family. It took a century for uh, this uh, debt cancellation to lead into democracy, and it's very interesting by Aristotle's time. Uh, you had the oligarchs trying to rewrite history in the same way that in the United States, the uh, Congress is trying to, uh, uh, and the Supreme Court are trying to do the same thing today. The oligarchs ended up trying to assassinate the Democratic leaders and saying, we want to put the original Constitution of, uh, so uh, of Solon back. We don't want the Constitution to move forward for democracy, we want it to move backward. And they made up an artificial constitution and said, uh, Solon didn't really cancel the debt. He just depreciated the coinage, so it was easier to pay them. And uh, uh, the, the real Greek historians show that this simply wasn't, wasn't so, uh, in either in Athens or elsewhere. Same thing happened uh, in Rome. They, they sort of claimed that there was an ancestral uh, oligarchy, and you just want to go back to that. Just like in the United States, the Supreme Court is saying, we have to go back to the Constitution that was written by slave owners and wealthy people uh, who feared democracy. And uh, we have to go back to the original anti-democratic Constitution. And we'll call that democracy. Because uh, democracy for the wealthy oligarchy is uh, 
the freedom to impose slavery on the rest of society, the freedom so, to, so if, uh, so, to take freedom away from debtors and, uh, uh, and the poor people. So you're really having a replay of the whole historiography of Greece and Rome uh, in uh, today's West. And so these cycles move around, the debt accumulates under oligarchic uh, power, then you get a populist leader, tyrant, who introduces some sort of democratic control and cleans the slate, and they have an answer to this, the oligarchs, that's assassination uh, yeah. often enough. Can you now see why, uh, in a sense, the CIA and other agencies are following precedent then in protecting in protecting power. They've read, uh, they, they already knew about uh, your work and saw how the protection of uh, the need for creditors over debtors' uh, rights uh, is, is um, paramount. It's very strange that uh, people who are, are rentiers, people who haven't worked for their living, people who don't have to create their own wealth but inherit it, are willing to fight and to kill to preserve it, and people who actually create the wealth and uh, the, uh, the citizenry at whole won't fight for something that uh, is really its own rights. It's only it's only the robbers that will kill the victims. It's not the victims who will kill the robbers. Uh, that's uh, a constant uh, throughout history, and it's uh, sort of a warning for why today's uh, attempt to stop the economic polarization is so ineffective. But when you talk about debt being so paramount as the, the, a, a primary mover, obviously as class struggle, presumably, for history in general, you're not being a Thatcherite grocer shop economist saying, you see, that's why you've got to... I, Biden said it. I'm not sure what you thought he meant. You've got to balance the books, uh, what comes in, what goes out. Uh, you're not meaning debt in that way and therefore governments should do that. Uh, 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 opposing both the oligarchic model and the, and the tyrant Democrat? There was no public debt uh, in antiquity. Uh, the uh, palaces and the churches were creditors, uh, not uh, debtors. Uh, it, it really was only in the time of the Crusades, in the uh, 12th and 13th centuries, that governments uh, began to go into debts of the wage war. Uh, but in antiquity, uh, the, uh, the temples had sort of saved uh, the savings of uh, uh, their local cities. And in times of war, the temples would melt down their uh, sacred statues and uh, uh, make coins to pay mercenaries uh, to fight. That's what happened in Greece and Rome. In Greece, when they melted down uh, uh, the Parthenon's uh, statues, and uh, the word money comes from the temple of Juno Moneta in Rome, where the coins uh, uh, were a actually struck. Uh, uh, from, from the mint, and the coins were struck there really to fight the Punic War against Carthage uh, that ended up uh, conquering a lot of land, which Rome decided to give to the wealthy families instead of to the, uh, uh, to the fighters, as uh, had been in the past, because uh, Rome was almost defeated by Hannibal and the elephants uh, around 200 B.C., uh, and uh, they asked the rich people to, uh, you know, fight to preserve the, uh, their freedom by giving their jewelry and everything. And the rich people uh, gave the jewelry and uh, the gold. And then when the war was over, uh, one of the uh, very wealthy families said, you know, that wasn't really a gift. It's, it's a loan. You have to repay us. And uh, the, uh, the Roman Senate said, well, we've spent all the money fighting out of war to save Rome. We don't have any. All we have to do is the land that we've just conquered 
uh, from Carthage and the, play, the city that supported it, we'll give you all the land. And Arnold Coynby, the uh, great uh, uh, British historian, said that was the fatal uh, concentration of property that really set the stage for the whole second century in Rome to uh, uh, empower an oligarchy, to create an army, to uh, essentially assassinate one uh, leader after another that uh, tried to redistribute the land, tried to hack uh, the rich, tried to uh, cancel the debts. And uh, of course, that ended up with the assassination of Julius Caesar that ended the whole republic. Professor Michael Hudson, I'll stop you there. More from the Wall Street veteran and author of the new book, The Collapse of Antiquity, after this break. So what we've got to do is identify the threats that we have. It's crazy. Confrontation, let it be an arms race. Who is on offense? Very dramatic uh, development. I personally am going to resist. I don't see how that strategy will be successful. Very critical time. Time to sit down and talk. European nations ultimately uh, experienced that transformation where their exceptionalism was kind of defeated by the hard realities, right? Or at least confronted with them in a, in a very significant way. And, uh, you know, the United States are more or, less, more or less the only exception to that general tendency. And that, of course, has to do with the fact that the geographical situation of the United States is fundamentally that of an island that is the size of the continent. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with the author of the new book, The Collapse of Antiquity, Professor Michael Hudson. You know, I, I know that uh, Jean Lai is supposed to have uh, looked at great sweeps of history and the French Revolution and so on, but your book is taking it to uh, an exponentially uh, greater level, arguably, showing how our daily lives can be so connected to myths and uh, uh, histories from uh, 2000 and I know the previous book on the Bronze Age, uh, ideas about uh, interest rates and, and debt. I don't know whether you heard about the LIBOR rate uh, scandal in London when they were uh, manipulating the interest rates. Uh, are we not in new times slightly that now the oligarchs can actually manipulate the interest rates and make the rest of the people not even understand that? We're now at the... Does that show that we're nearing the end of it? Well, when Rome would conquer a territory, uh, it would uh, insist that the territory uh, pay, and that the territory... After Ro the uh, Romans had looted the temples and uh, uh, the palaces and there was no money, the, uh, they would bring Italian creditors to make loans, and Brutus, who uh, put the knife into Caesar, charged 42% interest uh, to make uh, loans uh, to uh, Cyprus. Uh, and uh, uh, the uh, eastern uh, Mediterranean. So uh, you had predatory loans essentially stripping uh, society. And there was a sign uh, saying where the uh, Roman tax collector goes, the public ante, the publicans, uh, there's uh, just disorder and uh, collapse. And what Rome brought was uh, the same kind of disorder that uh, you could say the United States was forcing on the global south by bringing in the IMF 
uh, today's uh, public and class to uh, uh, just uh, enforce austerity, strip the economy of money, and uh, impoverish it, uh, and uh, create disorder. So uh, you can see the parallels very clearly. And if you, the uh, Italian, the Roman historians made this uh, very clear. And uh, this is what makes Roman historian history so embarrassing to modern uh, writers who like to say, well, Rome is the origins of our democracy. Well, it, Rome was never a democracy. It was always an oligarchy. And if someone tried to establish a democracy, that was called seeking kingship. Uh, because the kings were supposed to have protected uh, the population uh, from the oligarchs, which is why they were overthrown in uh, five, uh, just uh, before 500 BC. And uh, uh, there's uh, a whole myth that uh, somehow we're repeating Rome's democracy. And what we're really repeating in uh, America and Europe are Rome's oligarchy that is stripping uh, all of the uh, uh, regions of the world that it can take over first militarily and then financially. And financially takeovers uh, ended up killing more people than the military conquest uh, because of the impoverishment of uh, stripping all the money out of the economy, uh, taking away land ownership uh, for debt and uh, essentially driving cities so, so much into debt that they no longer could maintain their roads or their infrastructure or their waterworks and uh, just uh, brought on the dark age. And given it's uh, over decades of archaeological research and language research and all the rest of it to produce a work like this, did it surprise even you how elites were able to propagandize and invert the truth time and time again, whether it be uh, over uh, debt cancellation being a, a sin and uh, Abrahamic ideas of usury, and they're able to invert these ideas at whim, as it were, to the detriment of the commons and the, and the public. Well, that's what makes today's uh, Western civilization so different from everything that went before. There's a, uh, when uh, the uh, cuneiform of, uh, of Sumer and Babylonia began to be uh, translated, people thought that it couldn't possibly have canceled the debts because who would have lent the money? And how can society exist without creditors? Don't, aren't creditors uh, the most productive people in the world? It's unthinkable to think that creditors actually take money from the economy. And that's because creditors writing the history. Uh, uh, they were the wealthy families that inherited enough money to have the leisure to write the history books. And they just, when they would read uh, Mesopotamian history or uh, Greek history or Roman history, they'd say, it couldn't have happened like this because that's not what we, we Englishmen would have done if we went back in time. Uh, to uh, the ancient world. And so uh, we'll just write what we think uh, life would have been like if uh, Western civilization would have begun. Well, the reality is that uh, Western civilization was the first civilization to actually not cancel the debts, to not redistribute the land. To, it was the first civilization to actually let uh, uh, have strong rulers who prevented uh, an oligarchy from taking over. And uh, if they would lend money to uh, debtors, then the debtors would have to work for the creditors instead of working on uh, 
uh, on public infrastructure, on public works, on building roads and uh, uh, and uh, fortifications, uh, and instead of uh, paying taxes, because all the tax money would be paid to the creditors. And so by the time you get to Rome, uh, there really isn't any uh, taxation anymore uh, uh, of the Romans, because uh, uh, there was nothing to tax from the poor, and the wealthy didn't want to be taxed, sort of just like today. Uh, and uh, the result is that it just uh, uh, the, the West permitted this polarization uh, to take place and this impoverishment of the population to take place without any kind of uh, support in uh, religion or uh, politics of saying this is wrong. And uh, all early religion, uh, Near Eastern religion, Asian religion, uh, even early uh, uh, Greek religion had said it. Yeah, you have to avoid being uh, uh, selfish uh, and rich. And uh, usually, uh, when I went to school at uh, the University of Chicago in the 1950s, we all had to read uh, Plato's Republic, and that's sort of the philosophical work of antiquity that uh, the West usually refers to. And uh, uh, when I reread uh, the Republic and uh, writing this book. It's amazing. It begins with uh, Socrates saying, uh, talking to someone uh, who asks him, uh, you know, I borrowed a weapon from uh, the, uh, a wealthy guy, and uh, now he wants me to give him his uh, sword back. Uh, but he's going to kill people. He's a really he's a bad person. And Socrates said, well, uh, is it right to repay, to give something back or repay a debt, uh, the sword, to somebody who's going to use it to injure society? And uh, his student, oh, no, it's not right. And Socrates said, well, then, is it right to pay the wealthy oligarchies that have uh, uh, the money that they've lent you? If they're going to use this money to uh, go to war and impoverish you and take away your land and uh, destroy society, is that right? And uh, so uh, <laughs> that's obviously the uh, uh, the message uh, that Socrates is getting across. And he said the problem is people get richer. The problem is that they get addicted to wealth. And Greek had, had words for wealth addiction and uh, the uh, love of silver that is a disease. And he said uh, the only way to get rid of uh, a, a, an oligarchy is not to let people who are addicted to wealth be your leading politicians. It would be good if only we could have a leader that uh, didn't, uh, wasn't wealthy and didn't have land and wasn't a creditor uh, and therefore wouldn't act in uh, the creditor's interest, you know, unless he was trying to uh, lead, a, lead a revolution. And uh, that's really the message of, uh, uh, the, of Socrates, but by the time uh, he and Plato uh, had these discussions, it was already too late. The creditors were already taking over, and uh, Rome was about to come in and absolutely devastated Greece uh, right after the Punic Wars. Uh, it conquered uh, Greece and essentially put uh, oligarchies uh, in charge. And then even the Greek oligarchs tried to cancel the debts, uh, because otherwise they, uh, the army was running away and they had no one to fight. Uh, and uh, so Rome... Uh, Fought, uh, uh, fought all of uh, what uh, later became Yugoslavia. Uh, that whole area north of Greece uh, was was taken over and just uh, devastated and uh, reduced uh, 
uh, just uh, to rubble by the middle of the second century. And then uh, there were reformers in Rome, the Gracchi brothers said, uh, how can the, uh, the army, be, uh, citizens of Rome will fight for the army and yet they have no land of their own. They have to sleep outside. How long can you expect them to happen? So the oligarchs killed them. And uh, there were just uh, decade after decade of uh, mass murder and civil war, uh, and finally the uh, the oligarchs won. And uh, when they killed uh, Julius Caesar, and it ended up an empire, and uh, uh, that led to uh, feudalism and the Dark Age, basically. And yet these forces remaining all all through it. I mean, there was a kind of debt cancellation for the rich after the 2008 crisis, arguably. I think people were eating something called top. Some people said trouble access asset relief uh, program uh, funds. But do you think really that Ukraine, there are parallels now with the US and Ukraine and the uh, United States having the kind of debt it does and refusing, obviously, to cancel its own debt? I mean, arguably, the Treasury bill holders overseas may cancel the debt in a different way. Well, I didn't want to uh, draw parallels in the book, uh, uh, The Collapse of Antiquity. I just wanted to let the uh, uh, do documentation speak for itself and let the historians speak for themselves. But uh, as you read the book, uh, you'll see that the fight over uh, debt and over land ownership uh, and taxation and uh, how predatory the wealthy tend to behave when they're an oligarchy, you'll, you can't help but see that all of this is happening uh, in uh, the West today. And the reason that I spent years writing the uh, first volume of this and forgive them their debts, uh, all about uh, the origins of uh, interest-bearing debt in Mesopotamia was to show that it didn't have to be this way, that societies had been able for thousands of years to deal with debt in a way that didn't destroy the economy, because when debts got so large that many people would be impoverished and they'd uh, lose their freedom and their land, uh, the rulers would cancel the debts. And that prevented an oligarchy from becoming so rich that they'd overthrow the rulers. And still led to innovation. Uh, and, yeah. and still led to innovation of a, yeah. a, a, on a level. Just uh, finally then, I mean, going back actually to that earlier book, I mean, do you think it is weird still to think of today that people went, oh, the Rosetta Stone, isn't it amazing? Cuneiform writing. And then any student who learns about it goes, well, what does it actually say? Gets told, oh, it's some accounting thing. You might have to remind us what the Rosetta Stone is and why, arguably, we weren't told what's written on the Rosetta Stone, I think, in the British Museum now. Yes. It's because it's, uh, people are really embarrassed to say, well, this was a debt cancellation. There was a civil war going on. And uh, the uh, Egyptian uh, rulers uh, did exactly what uh, Egyptian rulers, had, the pharaohs, had been doing for 2,000 years. Uh, after, In order to make the peace, in order to create uh, a feeling of citizenship, once again, you cancel all the debts that had been run up during the war, and you start with a clean slate with everybody in balance. And that idea of restoring balance uh, doesn't exist today, because if you uh, are an economist and you go to a university, they say, oh, we don't need uh, a government to write down debts because the private sector will automatically reach equilibrium uh, that is fair and natural. Well, this is just nonsense. And so uh, this is uh, not even in antiquity did uh, any of the uh, oligarchs say, well, uh, just uh, don't regulate anything. Uh, uh, everything is going to be natural in, uh, the, because the market that is making us so wealthy is always in equilibrium. 
uh, even uh, the oligarchy knew that, uh, it, uh, that usury was bad, that uh, interest-bearing debt was going to polarize society. So it was not considered polite to make loans. They would make their slaves or their freedmen or uh, hire uh, foreigners, uh, medics to foreign-born people uh, to make the loans. They said, oh, I would never make loans because we know how bad money lending is and we know how bad it is to be an absentee landlord. And yet they were all absentee landlords and they're, uh, uh, they were having other people do the dirty work of lending out the money for them, just like uh, the, the bondholders today have the banks do the dirty work, but uh, uh, the bank's bondholders are uh, the 1%, the creditor class. Professor Michael Hudson, thank you. Well, thanks for bringing up these important subjects. And that's it for the show. The new book, On the Origins of Debt, The Collapse of Antiquity, is out now. Remember, we're bringing you new episodes every Saturday and Monday. Until then, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country and head to our channel, Going Underground TV on Rumble.com, to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you soon.